Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday, and the pet experts are in the building. This is the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on more compelling talk radio, 1320 WILS. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-host, the pet expert himself, Mr. Rick Pruse. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Lee. Uh, have you had an opportunity to get your jacket out now? Uh, actually, I will tell you, I didn't, and I regretted it because <laughs> the truth is, it has gotten cold awfully fast, and I'm disappointed with that because I don't think we get nearly enough summertime. But that's okay because I will say this: I spend a lot of time outside in the fall because it's so damn beautiful yeah. everywhere that you go walking, and when you've got trees and parks right by you it's it's just it's beautiful yeah for the listeners that don't know lee is in a gorgeous part of we all kind of travel when we go through 96 uh corridor uh, over there by howl right in yeah. brighton area it's yeah. actually past brighton isn't it uh actually it is I'm, but I th- i'm thinking kensington uh is gorgeous but you're not too far from there are you no i'm about two miles from kensington and i'm about half a mile from island lake state park and i gotta tell you there's nothing more enjoyable than putting the dog on the leash and going running in the woods and and just enjoying the beauty that is there And I got to tell you, it exposes me to a lot of creatures that you don't typically see. And it makes me regret that as a youngster, I I didn't educate myself about nature nearly to the degree that I am as an old guy. And I wish I would have known all this stuff because I would have appreciated so much more. Thank God I met my wife and she was and she does. And as a result, of it, I get to just see beautiful creatures. Well, that brings us up to this week's show, which I think you're going to really enjoy. And um, I guess I've kept a gem of a person uh, about a program that is just very special to me, uh, kind of from you. Not that you don't know about salmon in the classroom, but we now have a a person that runs that program that I know personally and uh, just does a fantastic job of getting teachers excited and and the DNR coordinated at uh, at making this particular program fly and or swim in this case. Right. Um, but also she's going to let us know about just education in general about how the DNR has an effort underfoot right now whether you know it or not, to truly educate as much as we can the populace so they actually understand the resources that you're just talking about. Yeah, no, it's it's a great program. And again, we've talked with Howard Tanner, who started the whole Salmon in the Great Lakes program uh, on a couple occasions. And I would always tell people, if there's ever someone to listen to or read his book, that's the guy to do it. But we've got a great guest, Tracy Page, who is is involved with it and is doing great work with it. And for someone like you at Proust Pets, I've got to imagine it's the best of all worlds because not only is she helping to educate and to make people appreciate nature, but in a way, they're teaching kids the same skills 
or similar skills that you're teaching them to have a pet and to care for them. And it's school. So, I mean, what could be better than that? Yeah, you are correct. And I've watched teachers embrace this program year after year after year. And the excitement level that these teachers have you know, it comes from their heart and their passion to teach, but it also comes from their appreciation for the absolute energy and excitement that they find from the students. And if you're teaching a fifth grade classroom or you're teaching a third grade classroom and you bring some program into it and eyes light up as large as they can and kids are fascinated, I think one thing that it does for me that I've noticed is it really singles out teachers that really have the best interest at heart, that have an opportunity to do this, they really embrace it because they see the joy on the faces of the kids and they also see the amount of education that can be learned from it. For me, I really love the fact that there's a whole generation of kids that are familiar with just how to set up an aquarium and how to keep a fish alive and, and the terms and conversations that they can then teach their parents. Well, and don't kid yourself. It's not going to be just kids because every weekend when I go outside and watch the fishermen early in the mornings on Saturdays and Sundays catching and releasing the fish, and you can tell they've done it their whole life, Mm -hmm. and it's something that they appreciate. And thank goodness that we've got someone like Tracy Page with Department of Natural Resources teaching him to do it some more. So that's what we're in for this week on Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show here on 1320 WILS. Now, more of the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on more compelling talk radio, 1320 WILS. We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And Rick, we have with us in the studio a first-time guest. Her name, Tracy Page, and she happens to be the Aquatic Education Coordinator for the State of Michigan Department of Natural Resources. Welcome to the show, Tracy. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure to have you. Tracy, why is it that I've spent my whole life living in the state of Michigan and had no idea that the state of Michigan was involved in so many of the things that they're involved in, especially regarding nature and education. Yeah, a lot of people think the DNR, if you know, they think of who they know that works for the DNR, it's conservation officers is usually the first one that comes to mind, or park rangers that you see when you're at a campground. But we have a pretty diverse education section that does uh, visitor center programs across the state. We have 10 visitor centers that people can visit, um, and we do programs in campgrounds throughout the summer. And then we have uh, several staff that work in Lansing that run like statewide programs, and I'm one of those staff members. Now, let's talk about those programs that go on because, again, I've been here for over 50 years and just didn't have a clue. Give us an idea. What kind of programs are going on in DNR? What are you teaching in schools? What what is it that people can get involved with learning uh, or, more importantly, their children can? Yeah. There's a couple great places to start. One would be um, on Facebook. We have a Facebook page specifically for families and, you know, kids. It's called My Nature, M-I Nature, DNR. And we post different topics throughout the week and, you know, like Wild Wednesday and Michigan Mondays. And you can see different places highlighted that you can visit or different topics. We also have those 10 visitor centers and they all do a wide 
variety of programs. So you can do archery, um, fishing, beginning fishing. You can bird watch. You can you know learn spring flowers. You can do a lot of different programs. And then of course we do field trips as well. So this time of year normally we're full to the gills with school kids and buses and not so much this year, but we're getting back to normal and um, lots of those field trips. And then for resources for kids at home, we have a website specifically for that. It's called Nature at Home and it's michigan.gov slash nature at home. And it's got thousands of resources. So videos that our staff has made on fun topics and, you know, how to do simple little things like knot tying and um, lots of educational resources and links to other resources and videos. So a great way to start connecting your kids with nature at home um, if you're not familiar or if you want to be more familiar. How long have uh, programs like that been in existence? Uh, obviously, not can't be too long because, well, the Internet is relatively young. Um, and uh, I'm just curious, uh, how, was this launched recently? Has this been going on for a dozen years? Yeah, the Nature at Home website was launched during the pandemic. Okay. So at the beginning of lockdown, we had a lot of our teachers that are you know faithful to our programs, and they were kind of freaking out because their students are at home now and they're trying to have the parents help them you know learn some of this stuff. So we started pulling together all those resources, and then our staff you know in the field who aren't necessarily tech savvy because they don't need to be right. They're out hiking in the woods. And teaching kids, and we um, all learned how to record videos, high quality videos, and edit those ourselves and get them uploaded. And we did hundreds of videos last spring and summer, and then started pulling those other resources in and partner resources. So it was born out of the pandemic, and now it's extremely popular. So before, we were relying on maybe 10 visitor centers uh, to kind of really pull the weight and get people involved. And now it's like every home can become like that learning center as well. Is that fair enough assessment? Definitely, yeah. And, you know, it spreads out the opportunity. So there's a lot of people, especially in, you know, Metro Lansing or Metro Detroit, that would never make it to the Porcupine Mountains Wilderness State Park, way, way up in, you know, the western UP. Yeah. And now they can do virtual visits and see videos and, you know, take a virtual hike up there. Which is which is a pretty neat thing to be able to share with everybody. Now that's being performed by uh, even you know just people on the ground like D- DNR officers. Yes, no, or who's doing the filming of this because. Michigan's a big state, and if it was just you getting a camera out there. Um, things would happen, just not nearly as well. How does this work? Yeah, we do have a videographer at the DNR. It's one guy, and he's very busy. (laughs) So all of this is where we learned to do it ourselves, because at that time, we weren't allowed to travel, and we weren't allowed to be around other people. So there was a lot of, like, rigging cameras to things, and zip one of our staff, the Porcupine Mountains interpreter, uh, zip-tied a camera to her helmet so she could do some filming in the Batcave. I mean, they got really inventive with how we were shooting these videos. Now, is this somebody that is normally in in Lansing and then drives up to the Porcupine Mountain, or is this somebody that's employed up in that area? Yeah, so we have those 10 educators across the state okay. um, that run those visitor centers. So she runs the visitor center at the Porcupine Mountains, and then she's the on-the-ground interpreter, which is, just means educating about the natural resources. Because we only have 10 visitor st- centers, uh, help us know in what geographical areas they are. And I guess for those that are within our listening area, What's the closest one nearby? Depends on what you're looking for. So um, close to here, we have one at the Waterloo Recreation Area. It's the Edie um, Discovery Center. Where's Waterloo? And that Waterloo? one near Chelsea. 
that's so by that's Chelsea. not terribly far not away. Not too far. Yep, and they have great trails and great mountain biking trails. And she does great um, outdoor skills academy programs. It's one of our big initiatives, which you know you can learn backpacking and some like hands-on weekend-long workshops to really get into how to use the resource. So you don't get like. Um, 20 miles into your backpack and realize you don't have enough to keep going and you didn't carry enough in, right? And that happened a lot last year. There were a lot of rescues at state parks last year. Because because, people thought they could. Yes. And, you know, they're doing some pretty intense hiking trails and flip-flops with no water and, you know, run into (laughs) issues. So it's great to be able to take those workshops and be more familiar with what you need to pack and how you prepare so that you can get out and, and practice those skills. What kind of viewership are you seeing in this new, you know, horizon it's it's been a really interesting year and a half, right? So, um, you know, once everything kind of opened up a little bit last summer, state parks were over like holiday capacity. Yeah. On a random Tuesday. On every day. Like it was all the time and the lots were full and we were just overwhelmed and we were understaffed, of course, because of hiring and all of that was yeah. kind of shot down and so it was a really interesting summer last year where everybody was getting out and a large proportion of those people were brand new to using sure. that resource. So a lot of interesting questions and, you know, helping people try to branch out and find new areas. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, it, it slowed down a little bit, but it was still quite a busy summer. And we were able to, you know, be more staffed than last year. But I'm assuming thousands and thousands of oh, people yeah. are visiting this site. Yeah. I mean, it depends on which state park and, you know, the visitor centers. But, you know, we see tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of people. Like Taquamanon, our interpreter there doesn't even have a building because she'd never be in it anyways. She's so busy out Uh on Uh the trails and at the falls, you know, with the lower falls and the upper falls. So she's, you know, sees hundreds of thousands of visitors a year. Right. But I'm saying for going online or on Facebook and viewing these videos. YouTube. Oh, yeah. YouTube. Yeah, we have thousands and thousands of of YouTube hits. Absolutely. Well, Maybe a few more now that people from this area, because I didn't know that existed. You know, I think that's the biggest thing is to know that uh, mi.nature exists. mi.nature in it's your... It's michigan.gov slash nature okay. at home. Okay. All right. Yeah, no, the, it is great to know that because as someone who has been lost in a state park before <laughs> with the search going on, looking for him, it would have been nice if I had known in advance that yeah. this is what I needed to have before I took my dog out for a walk. In and the where state would park. you really uh, <laughs> be able to learn how to backpack, honestly? Uh, most people, yeah, maybe where you go to buy your supplies, but that's kind of a, a, a slanted view, not necessarily bad. Yeah, there they but, say you need but, everything. But, but they might, <laughs> A, they might say you need everything, or B, they may just not have enough time. They may be focused on one thing, and that's, you know, we need to keep our bottom line going. One might have a, one in Brighton, for instance, might have a, a mode of operating to, like, really educate, but maybe somebody, uh, you know, a backpack retailer online may not, you know, just click and you and you got it. And so that sounds like a super resource. Uh, yeah, I remember when I was in high school, there was a program we had that was really fun. This is down in the state of Pennsylvania, but we a bunch of high school students teamed up, you know, mid, mid mid high school like middle school uh, lower grades teamed up with um some from like a um home uh, you know there's like they were taught within the, like Bethesda home was where 
wayward youths went. And so they collected like a half a dozen from one group, half a dozen from another, and a half a dozen from another school. And we went and they owned lots of backpacks, real big ones. We had to learn how to backpack. And then for like three days, we would be loaded with backpacks. And as a group, we went through the wood. You know, I was down in the hills of Pennsylvania, and that was just gorgeous stuff, gorgeous area. But you know, think about it. That opportunity was only available for, Boy you know, Scouts. at most 100, 200 people out of thousands of people even within that county. And I imagine if you were to ask 100 people age capable of backpacking um, how to backpack, maybe two people might know. Yeah, the, the, Boy, the Boy Scouts and maybe some Girl Scouts might know. And outside of that, if you weren't a scout, you didn't know. For sure. So that that's great information for people to learn. And how often uh, do you guys talk about the content? Because I would imagine that the content has to change seasonally because Michigan is such a seasonal state. So I've got to imagine preparing people for fall when there's lots of stuff on the ground and all of a sudden new obstacles, new things to look for. How, how does that work? Yeah, the programs change throughout the year. So those outdoor skills academies in particular, those like weekend workshops, um, we hit a huge variety of topics. So, you know, the backpacking is one, but we do like mushrooming, you know, like how to get out and find morels in the spring and um, different fishing clinics. So if you, you know, maybe you're an avid bluegill fisher and you go stand on your dock and catch bluegills, but you've never been salmon fishing and you want to get into that. Well, you could take this two-day course and learn about all the gear and locations and how to get out and do um, that type of fishing and branch out into something new. So we do all those different fishing clinics. It's same thing with hunting. Um, if you've never been like a pheasant hunter or a duck hunter, you could branch out into those through these weekend workshops and um, you know learn those skills and really try it out and see different gear and, and understand it. Again, without that retail perspective where they're not trying to sell you particular gear. But of course, we do have a bias, right? Our bias is we want to create stewards of the resource. So we want you to get out there and use it and appreciate it and take care of it and pass that on to your kids. And, you know, so that's, of course, our bias. But it's kind of a well-rounded program to help you get a crash course in those where you could go out and do it yourself. And what I, I think will be fun is 10, 15, 25 years from now, it'll be their kids that are being taught by those people that you're working with right now. And maybe a very robust program but irregardless whatever whatever happens of this you know it 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 makes an impact for generations which is really fantastic it does and you know we have some of our interpreters um and you know i won't name names to call it how old they are but you know they've been around a while and they've had that happen where it's kids of kids are coming back for programs or coming back to be summer staff where we've made an impact on grandparents or parents and now it's passed through generations where they're coming back to the same park and and being a steward and being part of that park and and getting themselves involved go through uh covid how did the morale go especially at that level i mean much more was put upon them as far as you know guests were up uh, staff levels were down how did you fare through all that 
you know, we have a pretty tight group, so we actually started like weekly Zoom meetings for recreation, just to get together and vent and talk. And uh-huh. you know, I think that propelled us through the hardest part of lockdown. Sure. And then evolving into all the virtual elements. You know, that's kind of my forte. Um, as I met you, Rick was back yeah. helping with you know a virtual um, experience in the coral reef exhibit at the zoo. And, yeah, yeah. You know, so that's been part of my repertoire, but not the rest of our staff. So. And so, how have they received that? And did some of them look at it as, "Hey, this is not my response." Responsibility, and did others just say, "Bring it on," and this makes my job that much better? Yeah, I, you know, there, of course, there was some hesitation at the beginning, and we did a lot of practice and a lot of, you know, coaxing to get through all of it. And now I think they all really appreciate it. And one of the programs we developed was called Nature as School, which is for classrooms to do virtual visits to these state parks and two hatcheries also. And through those Nature at School programs, we can do all these virtual field trip visits and still connect the kids with the resource. And it was so popular last year with you know schools being virtual that the teachers asked us to continue it this year, even though they're back in person. Yeah. So over the course of this winter, we'll be able to offer those virtual visits again. And, you know, those students can take field trips really far away and they can visit, you know, the Hartwick Pines State Park and learn about some of these cool forest ecosystems way down here without having to travel. We're, well, we're, we're, we're going to have to uh, go to the other side of the the uh, half hour, the, the next half hour. But I'm just curious. I'd love to see you talk about another program that's pretty exciting and involves salmon. So... Well, we're talking this morning with Tracy Page, who is the Aquatic Education Coordinator with the DNR. And Tracy, when we come back, we'll talk about salmon in the classroom right here on 1320 WILS. Message us on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash mmpets. Now, sporting their new Chewy toys, Rick Pruse and Lee Cohen. You're listening to the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. It's 935 and we're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And we're talking this morning with Tracy Page, who is an aquatic education coordinator with the state of Michigan Department of Natural Resources. And Tracy, we got so involved in all of the cool new programs you guys have got. We didn't even get to one of the biggest reasons why we wanted to have you in here, which is the Salmon in the Classroom program. We've talked a little bit in the past about the program, but for a new listener who's out there, can you explain what is Salmon in the Classroom? Sure. So our Salmon in the Classroom program is for grades 3 through 12 in um, you know school classrooms, and they raise salmon over the course of their school year. So in the fall, new teachers take a workshop and get you know a kit of teaching materials, and they pick up eyed eggs, which are eggs that are a month into their, into their development. And they take those back to their classrooms and they acclimate them to their fish tanks and they raise those throughout the year. So they go through the hatching phase and what we call buttoning up because they live off their little yolk sac for about a month. They absorb that and then they start eating. So that's a whole new trial for the kids to learn. They have to do the tank maintenance and maintain that water quality. And they raise those fish until April or May, and then they release them in an approved stream near their classroom. And some of the teachers do really impressive release days where they have multiple stations and resource partners from all sorts of different organizations. And the kids just learn a lot in that one hands-on day. And that compounds on the entire school year where they've, you know, taken care of these fish. And they really become part of the resource. And, you know, they take some ownership and... 
and, you know, become so involved with these baby salmon that they want to, you know, follow their life cycle and, and follow them in the wild. I did have uh, the opportunity right down in Okemos. Uh, one of the schools released them right there at the uh, river as it goes right through Okemos, Red Harris. Cedar. Um, it's right, right it's there. It's Mount Hope, right? right yeah, 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 with the bridge that goes okay. across, and there's a little park on each side of the, uh, of the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was fun because um, they were pulling organisms from the bottom of the river and showing them on shore so the kids could actually get a you know an eye a bird's eye view of the the bugs and characters and the crawfish and the uh, nymphs of this and uh, uh, it was I was pretty fascinated because I hadn't seen half the animals that they put dug up out of there all within probably just a you know a square meter of of the bottomland of that so we oftentimes look at those rivers and they're well, rocks mud and fish swimming through it but man there's so much more teeming of life there and the kids get to know that because they get to see those things on shore so i found that pretty fascinating we had howard tanner uh come out and he got to witness that and boy did he enjoy that day oh yeah yeah dr tanner was the um fisheries chief that brought salmon to michigan in the 60s and um he's you know well up in his 90s now and still gets out there and fishes and is involved with school groups and it's pretty cool to see yeah he's been a guest here on the show and that's been pretty fun best shows possible if we have a chance to throw the best of out there he's probably one of the best to grab and throw out there because people need to know about that guy he was he is quite the fantastic person so um when teachers want to become part of this program what goes into the idea of keeping salmon in the classroom and what do they need to know you talked about a essentially a class that they need to attend can you expound on that what what goes into that and why do they need to be taught in that way Yeah, so the application period for the program is January 1st through April 15th, and we notify them by the end of the spring semester so that they can start all this planning, right? So um, the workshop they take in the fall, we kind of go through the basics of what they can look forward to for the course of the year, the types of curriculum we provide that they can tie in in their classrooms. But the the bulk of it is definitely taking care of those salmon and, and caring for that aquarium system. So that's where, you know, guest speakers from Proust Pets and, um, you know, these equipment setups are pretty impressive. And unlike, you know, normal pet aquarium systems, these require chillers because the water has to be kept at 52 degrees. Yeah. So even if you're good at taking care of aquariums, this is a whole extra layer. And the feeding is different because salmon don't, or Chinook salmon especially, don't eat off the bottom. Mm-hmm. So you have to be really careful when you feed them. And so there's just a lot more um, nuts and bolts that going go into maintaining these tanks, even if you're pretty good at maintaining an aquarium. So. Yeah, and then you have to add that. Um, you're going throughout Michigan, so not everybody's water systems are the same. So there needs to be some education on basic water chemistry. And then you're putting in there... 100 eggs? 150 150 eggs. eggs, and oftentimes in something like a 75-gallon tank. We need to have them fully aware and appreciate the role bacterias play in keeping that system healthy. And it's actually a little bit more tricky because we're doing it at 50-some degrees, and bacterias are kind of in the slow mode, you know, the sloth of the bacteria world as far as moving around and, and, and reproducing and multiplying. So it's it's a little bit more of a challenge than just saying, hey, I'd like some salmon in my class. I'd like these salmon eggs. It sounds like a great program. I commend 
the whole program for acknowledging that, putting you at the helm to make that happen, because that's made an exponential leap in the capacity and the capabilities of those teachers that are doing what they need to do, you know. So, you know, before it was kind of a program that kind of popped up and different people within the program would do their best to try to handle that. But, uh, you know, with, with Tracy, what happened was they came to to realize that maybe one person that could orchestrate that program could really do do it justice. And we've been watching this program way before Tracy got involved. And since she's gotten involved, um, it's taken a great program that was pretty well run and just, you know, put it at a level that, that, that I can't imagine. Uh, talk a little bit about what, what it was like when you came in and what's the program like now? Yeah, so the program kind of started in 1997, very unofficially. A biologist up at one of our hatcheries up north um, had some teacher friends that wanted to try some salmon eggs, and he kind of handed out some salmon eggs, and that was really it. And, you know, there was only a couple that first year. And then a couple other teachers heard through those teachers, and then a couple more teachers heard. And <laughs> A great idea cannot be kept down. Yeah, there was definitely a grapevine going on. Um, so it, you know, started growing, and our fisheries division kind of freaked out. They're not used to working with teachers, right? That's not their forte. Right. Like swimming upstream. It is. <laughs> so they passed it to um, our education section, geez, about 12 years ago now. And like you said, it was multiple people had different pieces of the program and, you know, and kind of played to their strengths. We have one that's really good at the purchasing and the kits and the paperwork. And, you know, they each handled a piece of it. And the program's grown to the point where we have about 300 teachers now. And it's nice. a lot to manage. And I, I joke sometimes it's like herding cats, right? I have 300 cats I have to herd every fall and get all the details right. And then it's smooth sailing. But, um, you know, doing that was a, a big leap. And I came on um, just over four years ago and kind of picked up all the pieces from the other staff and relieved them of that so they could get back to their real jobs, right? <laughs> and um, have since then kind of tried to button up the program and overhauled our teacher guide and, and all the aquarium um, care and maintenance and tried to make the teachers' lives easier. So, you know, advocating for larger tanks that are majorly over-filtered helps yeah. the teachers, right? That makes their lives so much easier. So just little tweaks like that, yeah. that we can help the teachers and we can, you know, put their money to the best use because these are not, you know, cheap setups and connect them with sponsors like Trot Unlimited and Steelheaders and, and groups that, you know, want to see the resource succeed and want kids to understand it. Um, you know, just trying to put all those pieces together and, and get all the teachers up to speed where it makes their lives easy and they get to teach with a really cool resource. Is it possible for people that are listening that there are schools that either are unaware or just not involved that maybe if they listen to this and, and, and think this is a super idea that they they could, what, reach out to their schools and, and kind of inspire them? Can they reach out to you? How does a school that, um, I guess, doesn't necessarily see this as, as something great become something somehow involved? How, can a, how could a, a parent that has a child that hasn't 
had an opportunity for this, how could they inspire a school system to maybe bring this on? A great place to start is our website. So it's michigan.gov slash SIC. And we have lots of resources and videos and, and ways to explain the program to kind of propel that discussion with a school district. Um, we also have a map of our participating schools. So people could see if there's a school in their area and they could um, you know contact them or see the tank, maybe not right now with COVID protocols, but on a normal year. Yeah. Um, and you know, start to become involved. We also have teachers that are looking for, you know, resources and volunteers for that release day. Um, and we have a lot of people that will help with that. You know, somebody that just likes fishing and will happily stand by a river and, and help a kid fish um, would be a great resource on a release day. So they can, um, you know, start there and start those discussions and contact me if they have questions. And, and we do a lot of that, you know, like how does it fit into the curriculum? How does it meet the next generation science standards? Um, and, you know, we have resources to support all of that. Well, I would also imagine that there's a lot of people consider it to be one of the more fun things they get to do in school. We're talking this morning with Tracy Page, who is the Aquatic Education Coordinator for DNR. And Tracy, we need to take one more break. But when we come back, we'll continue the conversation and talk about how people do view the program and what other programs are going on at DNR right here on 1320. This is the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on more compelling talk radio, 1320 WILS. We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show, and we've been talking this morning with Tracy Page, who is with the Department of Natural Resources at the state of Michigan. Tracy, we were talking about the uh, Salmon in the Classroom program, and it's been going on for a little while now. From a results standpoint and a feedback standpoint, standpoint. What exactly are you hearing from the teachers involved with it and the students and their parents when they find out about it? Are you getting positive feedback on the program? Oh, definitely. I would say the best feedback we get is that we have teachers that have been in the program for 20 some years. Um, You know, that's pretty impressive in itself, right? If they didn't like it or if the kids didn't get anything out of it, the schools wouldn't see the value, but they have and they have for a couple decades. Um, So that's, you know, great Uh, support right there. But the students learn so much and it's a wide variety. Our curriculum guide covers everything from art and science and math and history so they can incorporate it in just about anything in the classroom. And teachers now have a resource to teach local and important science topics. You know, you ask any kid and they know stuff about the rainforest and they know stuff about polar bears, but they don't necessarily know anything about the crayfish in the river in front of their school. And, you know, a lot of the programs we do are to make that connection. We want them to understand the natural resources around them and have a connection to that and want to be a steward for the future and take care of those resources and use them. Right. Now, the question I've got for you, though, is who pays for this? I mean, does this all come from state funds? Does it come from school funds? Or do you guys typically have to fundraise in order to generate the money to pay for all of this? Yeah, the the teachers themselves that apply for the program do their own fundraising for their tanks. And a lot of them have great sponsors like Trout Unlimited Chapters and Steelheaders. Um, we have great partners like Bruce Pets and uh, Project Fish at Michigan State that help with different pieces and, and set the teachers up. Um, so that's the bulk of that end of the program. My salary and you know my education counterparts, you know, the DNR is funded through 
user fees, right? So a lot of people think we're funded by tax dollars. And, you know, the tax money that you personally spend on the DNR would fill your cup of coffee, right? You could hit Big B for that. So um, it's it's a misnomer that, you know, we're tax funded. We get our, our dollars from the people that are using the resources. So when you buy a fishing license, um, those dollars are matched by federal dollars, and that comes back to support the habitats that you want to fish in. And the same thing for hunting licenses and, um, you know, park fees, that little P on your license plate. Those right. dollars are what pay for DNR staff to maintain those resources for you to use because you own them. Um, you know, all of the state parks and state resources and fish hatcheries are owned by the people of Michigan. And, you know, we maintain them for you. So it's it's great to be a part of that big picture. It's interesting. It'd be an interesting advertising campaign if you want to support the DNR and all their efforts. Put a P on your license plate, even if you don't use our, our uh, natural wonders. It is uh, for seventeen dollars you know. a year, right? You can right. help support can, the state it, parks. And yeah, and it's very efficient. It's not like uh, a lot of places are, you know, like you donate money to whatever, and you know, two cents of the dollars goes to where you want. One hundred percent of the dollars goes right to doing exactly what people think they would want to do with their natural resources, and that get gets people to enjoy them. Well, and I will say if people don't enjoy them, it's because they haven't spent enough time there. Maybe I'm lucky because I live uh, very, very close to Island Lake State Park in Kensington, and they're just a joy to be in all of the time. And you'd only only need to use it once, and you would get your money's worth out of it. Uh, I guarantee it. That's the best $17 you'll spend all year. So. Tracy, you had mentioned that uh, 50% of your uh, job activities tend to center around salmon in the classroom. What's the other 50%? Yeah. What, what do you do Good on a day-to-day basis? What's, what's Tracy's world? Yeah, so I, I always joke that I'm kind of the filter between our awesome scientists and the public, right? So I, you know, by training, I'm a marine biologist and oceanographer. And, you know, so when I sit down with our biologists, I can digest that and understand it. But then um, through my master's work and, you know, working toward education, I can now help filter that and package it up for our interpreters, those educators around the state, as well as, you know, other education staff and the public, my salmon in the classroom teachers, and kind of package up those current science factoids in a way that they can use them and incorporate them into maybe their hobbies or their life or, you know, their teaching, whatever it may be. So, you know, trying to to filter that that science is a big part of it. So I take part in a lot of fisheries activities. I work with other organizations in the state like Michigan Sea Grant, um, NOAA, you know, those other big groups. And we all collaborate to kind of get the message out to, you know, our our communities on how they can be part of the resource. Now, I noticed uh, in your title, it specifically points to aquatic. Is 100% of your job tasks and responsibilities centered simply around aquatics? A lot of it is. Um, You know, in the past few years, I've ended up doing a lot more graphics design and education curriculum writing, which is a little bit broader. Um, I was was thinking, you know, uh, I've known Tracy uh, (laughs) a couple, three decades, somewhere around there. And when you were working at Potter's Park Zoo, when you helped us, uh, man, you were just like, when, when you're in a zoo situation or a 
pet store situation or trying to run the DNR, when you have a utility player like Tracy, it's amazing. She has an endless amount of talents. So I imagine I was just asking that question because I I would assume that they would be pulling you in a few directions besides, you know, underwater world. The task du jour. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you said, like when COVID came in, you were very, a, a very natural at at kind of going to the internet and making those things happen. So, um, so I imagine that that brought you know more responsibilities than just what what videos would happen underwater, right? Oh, for sure. And you were probably helping everybody that needed help. Yeah, and you know, and I'm not alone. That's that's part of my statewide position. Um, I have a counterpart in the office, and she runs our Project Wild program, which is a international curriculum. Um, to get people involved in wildlife and the outdoors and, you know, habitats. And and she's kind of the same way. We're kind of the go-to people to kind of band-aid all the tasks because we are those statewide educators. And and she works with K-12 teachers where I handle more of the aquatic, but we do a little bit of everything. We're going to have to get her on the show as well. Yeah. There you go. And what is her name? Natalie Elkins. And okay. she's our K-12 education specialist. Nice. Nice. And you've been at this job for how long? I have been at the DNR for four years. How do you like it? I love it. It's yeah. a perfect fit for, you know, my, my degrees and my career path. And, you know, before that, I worked at a couple aquariums in the Potter Park Zoo. And I had nature. Uh, nature. I was at a nature center for 10 years as the education director. And it was nice to be able to jump back to kind of like my roots, right? Get back to the aquatic and, you know, developing those education pieces that I'm so good at. So. And what what's on the horizon? Um, just more development of these various programs, including Salmon in the Classrooms? Is there any kind of, uh, like, idea over the next year, two years, four years that you're hoping to put on your agenda and, and accomplish? Yeah. You know, right now I'm just wrapping up. Um, we just wrote and designed the first ever Michigan uh, crayfish identification guide. So that's being published as we speak. And nice. So that was a cool project to be part of. And, you know, going towards the future, I'm part of a Climate Stewards um, Ambassadors Program through the American Fisheries Society. So it's actually an international um, course where we're working on messaging and how to talk to the public about, you know, those climate issues in a way that people actually understand, right? That filter between science and the public and, you know, being part of those types of, you know, programs and messaging for the future is, I think, pretty relevant and timely, right? (laughs) Essential. Essential might be more appropriate. (laughs) You know, and my salmon are a great example of that. You know, my my teachers rely on eggs that are coming from rivers. They literally could go right now and take a tour at the weir on the Little Manistee River and watch the egg take process where the salmon come up into the weir and we, you know, take the salmon and take the eggs and fertilize them and take those back to hatcheries. And if the water warms in that river, are those fish going to come up it? Right? right? Are they going to come up to the weir? Would we have eggs? Right? They're temperature-dependent fish. And, yeah. and those eggs, like I said, they have to be at 52 degrees in that tank. And yeah. what if that water's too warm? And yeah. you know, what if that habitat changes drastically? So, I mean, these are concerns for the future that we're all worried about. Well, it definitely makes you an essential person when it comes to that translation role because I I kind of feel for you sometimes when Rick is here and we have someone as smart as he is in a conversation about fish and it's kind of my job to translate (laughs) what they're talking about to the public and that is a real essential role. Tracy, again, if people want information about these programs or to help you in any way, where would you send them? Yeah, so, you know, a couple simple websites 
website. So for the Salmon in the Classroom program, it's michigan.gov SIC. And if you just want to understand our DNR education programs in general or, you know, link out to those visitor centers to see where you can go and do a program, that's just michigan.gov slash DNR education. So a pretty easy one. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming in and sharing the stories that you did today because it's a fascinating thing that you all do, and it's a shame that all the citizens of Michigan don't know about it. Hopefully, we educated a few of them about them today. Uh, Tracy Page, thank you so much. And Rick, I'm sorry to say, but you can't have any more time. As great of a show as this was, that's all you get for this week. But we will be back next weekend, and And we'll talk more about what's going on in the world with animals and pets right here on 1320 WILF.